This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Fate's Wide Wheel, Dr. Ruth, take two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We we actually recorded this episode and had it pretty much ready to go a couple of weeks ago, but uh, found that there was uh, an just an unfixable problem with one of the audio tracks and it would have resulted in a, in a very stuttery Dennis. And so we didn't want to do that to you. Um, but it resulted in something excellent being able to happen for take two, which is we have a guest. We have a guest for the first time since I think, uh, the end of season four, I, I I don't even recall. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, anyway, welcome. Uh, it was Karen that was pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Karen, back to the podcast. She was on uh, one and a half episodes, kinda, sorta. <laughs> uh, back, she did shock theater with us, and then we had sound issues, and then we ended up just redoing that, and then she came back for the leap back. But it's been a couple seasons. It has it's been a season and a half. Yeah. But but given our recording schedule for the last. Uh, a couple of years. I I think it's been close to a couple of years since we've uh, since we've had you on. Maybe China. Maybe it's, yeah. It's, I think it's been a little over a year because if I I I, I want to say it was like winter last time. So I want to say it's been almost like a year and a half. Wow. Of course, in Chicago okay. winter can stretch into May. So. <laughs> it could have been a year exactly. So yeah, I mean you know it's ninety degrees today, but tomorrow hey it could be winter in Chicago. You don't know. Yeah, you never know. Although we did get the lovely opportunity to see Karen. You were out here in Chicago uh, for a brief bit and happened to stop by uh, Dennis's uh, housewarming. Yes, I was lucky enough. We were able to come out um, before everything got shut down. We were out in middle of February, so glad we weren't planning on our trip a month later because we wouldn't have made it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, was, yeah, for some reason I thought that was December, but no, yeah, that was February, and that was back in a different time before we realized <laughs> actually it was January. It was January. Cause I was, okay. I was actually out to, out to Chicago twice in that month. Cause my nephew was born. And so the first time I came out by myself and that was the time I think I, I came over and then my family and I came back out a couple weeks later. So yeah, it was a little earlier than February, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Well, glad to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. And how how are you doing in in our whole new world here these past few months? Um, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. I am. Um, I work in the school system, so I've actually been lucky enough to um, be able to keep my job. As my husband is also a high school teacher, so we've been working. So I was saying, it is, it is super busy because we're trying to get ready for the fall and what's going to happen in the new school year, which nobody knows. Everyone's making plans, but no one actually knows what's going on. So we're trying to figure all that out. So it's been very busy, but we're all healthy. And I have two of my two daughters. My actually my one daughter, older daughter's birthday is tomorrow. She'll be 15 tomorrow. So 
congratulations. Um, but yeah, Happy birthday so to her. <laughs> so yeah, so but we're yeah, we're just hanging around. We have a pool we can go to, like kind of that takes reservations. So we've been doing that a little bit. So yeah, we're hanging in there. Nice. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, as good as good as can be, you know. <laughs> as good as can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dennis, how's your uh how's your two weeks but I must I said week because I talk to you more often but for listeners it's been like four weeks really oh for listeners yeah it's been a while uh, I just finished up coding boot camp um mm-hmm. that was that was yesterday it was final capstone presentation uh, capstone presentations and graduation all in one day I, I, I have learned a lot very ba- valuable coding boot camp is what it is uh, I was really stressed about presenting my capstone project yesterday but then also realized that any program that has you present your capstone and has graduation planned on the same day, you're graduating. <laughs> unless unless you just totally shit the bed and just don't show up, right. you're graduating. So uh, and so it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, so yeah, um, but that's uh, it, it's a that's a stress off of my shoulders now. And now it's just the next step of having done a coding boot camp. It's actually going out and getting a job in coding. So um, it's not really the end of something. It's really the the beginning of something. It's the beginning of more expensive student loan payments because they've been on partial deferment. Oh, man. I'm looking forward to the next part of the journey. So so that's how that's how we have been. Uh, Other than that, we've been trying to just do our best. With everything else, uh, this last week, speaking of school and daycare, uh, we still have our oldest in daycare. And this last week, we know from like getting the reports that they send home that they've been learning about picnics. Um, <laughs> so, so partly out of like celebration of end of coding boot camp and just wanting to um, do my best to make our, our our children's lives feel somewhat normal with everything going on, um, I decided we we were going to have a picnic in the backyard this morning. Um, and we did that. It was a little bit cut short because it was really hot this morning, which we weren't planning on. So uh, so we did a short little picnic this morning, and then we'll probably do a picnic part two this afternoon because it'll be a little bit cooler. And the way our the way our yard is, the afternoon, we get a lot more shade uh, in our backyard. So we'll probably go back there and do it and do it again. Uh, but Harrison, he woke up this morning. He was very, very excited about his picnic. So... Um, that's awesome. So yeah, so that's how that's how we're doing. But now the kiddos are all down for nap time now. I think Betsy's down for nap time now. <laughs> and I'm excited to to speak again about <laughs> about this week's episode. That's right. We and, and, and glad talking. to have and glad to have uh, Karen here for input because when we recorded this last time, like towards the end, we we're like we really we should have a woman on this episode for a woman's opinion, given the subject matter of pretty much everything involved in this entire episode. So, so yeah, this was a, this was a nice uh, excuse to, to redo the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, we'd already been thinking about ways to, you know, reintegrate guests into the show because it's something that we enjoyed so much early on and, and we drifted away from just because our schedules were so crazy. And then obviously with the pandemic, we haven't had the opportunity to arrange much because, you know, a couple of our prior guests that we've wanted to have back, you know, technically they weren't able to join because they didn't have the technology or weren't sure how to use the technology. And, you know, things have become easier because certain programs like Skype and Microsoft Teams, et cetera, have, you know, 
made recording possible, whereas before it was either not possible or involved spending money, et cetera. And, you know, we didn't want to spend any money. So, <laughs> so now, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, it's a lot easier to do so. So the hope is, is that we'll have um, some more guests as, as we finish off the run here. Uh, we are in the, the waning days. We've, we've only got about eight or nine episodes left. Um, and uh, certainly we hope to have some guests back on the show uh, before all is said and done. Um, but yeah, this week we are talking about Dr. Ruth, directed by Stuart Margolin. Uh, Stuart Margolin actually has a very interesting uh, career. Uh, he He's probably most known as an actor, um, but spent a lot of time behind the camera as well. Um, he played Angel Martin on The Rockford Files and um, had quite a few episodes uh, as that character. He was actually Jim Rockford, uh, James Garner's uh, cellmate. And uh, so it was causing all sorts of trouble and hijinks for him. Uh, it was actually nominated for some Emmys for that role uh, and, and has won a couple of Emmys as well. Um, and stay then he was reprised the role. Stay tuned for our Rockford Files podcast when we wrap oh. up Quantum Leap. Man, we think Quantum Leap is a very niche podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would be I would be so down for that. Anyway, sorry. Uh, oh, no, it's all right. We would be popular in retirement communities across the country. Uh, <laughs> My mom would love it. My mom would, would listen right in. <laughs> it might be your first podcast that she listens to. <laughs> you know, if, if if we aspire for anything, it would be someone's first podcast. <laughs> Uh, this is the only episode that Margolin would direct of Quantum Leap, um, but he, like I said, he, he took a lot of turns behind the camera as well as in front of it. Um, and, and, you know, we spoke the last time when we covered the episode that he does lend uh, a certain style to this episode that I think uh, really does speak to his background and coming from a show like the Rockford Files, which leaned into the suspense and, um, you know, was also no stranger to comedy. Uh, but but I think his directorial style is interesting because it's not necessarily what we see a lot of in Quantum Leap. Um, our writer is Robin Jill Bernheim. Now, I'm not I'm not Robin's biggest fan. I'll be honest. Uh, I think that some of the episodes that she's responsible for are, are not the greatest in the history of Quantum Leap. Um, but. I also think that she came to the show at a time when, I don't know, Dennis, you, you, you spoke to this last time. You know, she wrote Leaping of the Shrew, Deliver Us from Evil, A Tale of Two Sweeties. Uh, this episode, and she'll go on to write Memphis Melody. Uh, it, you made a good point when we were speaking about this the last time, uh, about when she came to the show, when she was writing for the show. And, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you pretty just summed it up. It's like, the, you know, the last season we've talked about uh, – Nobody, I, I think very few people, very few fans of the show count season five as their favorite season of the show. So she was coming in in kind of a rough period of transition. There were budget cuts. There were a lot of things going on. And, and you got to wonder, um, with the network pushing the show to go into a new direction, how much of it was – how much of her writing was she responsible for? Like how much of it was her writing and then how much did the network and Don Belisario and everybody – how much did they – did they push their own ideas and their own agenda into each script? Uh, before before I were to judge Robin, I would want to see her work on other shows. You can't Absolutely. you can't you can't just judge anyone like based on one project or you know or like one stretch of a project like with what's going on with the fifth season. And you 
And you could have seen her writing skills on such hits as Silk Stockings, Tech War, Renegade, Extreme Ghostbusters, Diagnosis Murder, Star Trek Voyager. So, I mean, clearly, I'm sorry. I'm a terrible human being. I just, I, I, I'm looking at her, at her resume and I'm thinking to myself, wow, some of these shows are not great. Do you not like Star Trek Voyager? Did you, was she responsible for some of the great ones of Star Trek Voyager? Nah, I mean, Fairhaven Memorial and Live Fast and Prosper were her credits, and I don't even really remember those episodes. Live Fast, wasn't that one of the Fast and Furious yeah, movies? No? Like, Live Fast like, like, and Hard, I think, is the, the it was one of the Fast and Hard. No, 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 that'd be a great. <laughs> anyway. Oh, no. Anyway. Um, so, uh, um, We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how she acquits herself in this episode. Our air date is January nineteenth, nineteen ninety-three. Leap date is April twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty-five. And Sam has leapt into Doctor Ruth Westheimer in Manhattan. Um, Doctor Ruth, Karen, tell us about your knowledge of Doctor Ruth, and if you can, like when you first came to the episode, what did you know about her, and what do you know about her now, looking back? Um, I think so when this episode first aired, um, I think I was a sophomore in college, so I probably was around 20 years old. So I think I knew of Dr. Ruth, um, through high school. Um, so I knew, you know, I knew who she was. I knew she gave advice on sex. Um, I didn't, you know, didn't really listen that much, but I kind of knew who, knew who she was. So when I watched the episode, um, trying to think back of when I first watched it, um, it was a, you know, wasn't, was one of those novelty things like, oh yeah, I know who she is, you know, and, and kind of, you know, excited about being able to see how Sam would portray her and, and, you know, what kind of, you know, how he would do what she needed to do. So, um, but I definitely was definitely, um, familiar with who she was and kind of knew what kind of was in store for him <laughs> when he leave, you know, when they had that leap out or when he leaped in before yeah. that. So it actually started. So, um, yeah. yeah, she's she's a fascinating individual um, because in addition to still being alive, I, I know that some people out there are probably sort of like, Dr. Ruth, didn't she die? Uh, but no, she's still alive. Uh, I, know, I looked it up. Old. I actually looked up because I didn't know whether I, mean, I hadn't heard that she died, but I was like, right, well, she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't um, about her recently. You know, she was big in the 80s. And then I haven't, you know, since then, I haven't heard really much about what she's doing. Yeah, well, I, apparently, and I've not watched it, but apparently uh, Hulu has a new uh, series called Ask Dr. Ruth. And uh, I think it, it might actually be like a limited series. And it's it's like one part documentary, one part kind of, you know, her brand of, of, of infotainment, I guess, if you will. Um, but uh, she was born in Germany in 1928. Um, and... Um, her parents, uh, when she was 11, actually sent her out of Germany into Switzerland because it was too dangerous due to the tension and Nazi violence. Um, and she would exchange letters with them um, from the orphanage. Uh, and then in 1941, the letters stopped and she knew that she wasn't going to get any more. Um, her father uh, was killed um, in Auschwitz. 
Uh, her mother was killed during the Holocaust, but uh, there's no specific information uh, about her death, apparently. Um, Yad Vashem World Holocaust Remembrance Center categorizes uh, her as disappeared. Um, but needless to say, yeah, she was orphaned uh, by the time she was 14. Um, and shortly after the war, she decided to immigrate to mandatory Palestine, which was sort of a, you know, what Great Britain had set up um, for Jewish survivors of the Holocaust in Palestine. Um, she would actually end up serving in the Israeli military. Uh, she was trained as a scout and a sniper um, and has been quoted as saying, I never killed anybody, but I know how to throw hand grenades and shoot guns. Um, <laughs> she was actually wounded in action during the 1947 to 1949 Palestine War, and, and um, she was confined to a bed for several months. Um, so just a fascinating individual. She immigrated to the United States in 1956. Um, she would earn uh, her degree um, um Actually, she earned a degree, I guess, before this, but she earned her master's in sociology in the New School and uh, then got her doctorate at Teachers College from Columbia University in 1970. Um, so she, you know, and, and, and pretty much as soon as she got out, um, she started working with Planned Parenthood and, and studying human sexuality, um, worked as a postdoctoral researcher and, uh, you know, just kind of moved her career into a radio show in 1980 and, um, really, you know, blew up in the eighties as, as we were talking about, uh, Dennis, for you, um, you know, uh, what were, what were your thoughts like going into the episode, um, back in 1993? Well, I don't like, I didn't like see any like preview. Like I didn't know it was coming up until like the end of the episode before, but mm -hmm. you know, as we were talking in our first recording of this, even though I was just uh, like, what, 11, 12 years old at the time, I definitely knew who Dr. Ruth was. She yeah. she is someone who was just absolutely uh, pervasive in pop culture at the time, just a larger than life personality. Um, and, and of course, knowing that 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 she was known for, like, talking very frankly about sex, you know, there was like a, a good deal of, an, of embarrassment and awkwardness that that surrounded that for me. But yeah, I even just being 12 years old, I definitely knew who she was. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. And I, I think that it's interesting because some of the memories that I have of her, um, are, are from later, you, you know, I can remember, um, have very specific memories of her being on, um, uh, Conan O'Brien's talk show and just like his discomfort, um, with, with some of the subject matter that, that she was discussing, you know, very frankly, um, and, 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 and those memories just, just kind of stand out. But yeah, even being, you know, uh, on the verge of turning 12, uh, I, I was aware of who she was. Um, and I think it's an interesting bit of, uh, you know, of, of, of stunt casting. It's not the first time we've gotten stunt casting and you know, we, we had Brooke Shields, um, but that was a little bit different. Um, you know, this, this is, I think the stuntiest casting that we get really, right, because it's someone that Sam has left in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it, it is notable, especially like having Sam leap into someone, you know, like the actual like personality. And I think we brought this up in our first recording is, uh, I think the stuntiest of stunt of bad stunt casting on the show was probably Chubby Checker 
because because you had you had 1980s chubby checker playing 1950s chubby checker and no attempt whatsoever to de-age him or anything but beyond chubby checker yeah this is probably the the stuntiest of stunt casting yeah yeah um but that said i mean right off the bat there 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 is um I, I think there are two things that are fairly notable to me. I, I love the initial shot uh, as the camera moves in on on Sam uh, in the dress, and then of course Sam looks up uh, to to the mirror to see that he is Doctor Ruth. And there's just something about the the POV of the camera being, you know, uh, slightly above Sam and at an angle and coming in. It's just a really really nice movement, um, and 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 kind of mirrors, no pun intended, where the mirror is when he looks up. And I, I, there's just something about that that I really like. Um, of course, you know, the other thing is, is Sam has to now talk about sex. I, and we, we talked a lot about this in the first recording and apologize, apologies to listeners. Cause we're probably be saying that phrase a lot. We talked about this a lot in the first recording, but it just, uh, I don't know, Karen, it got on me and Sam's nerves, how awkward Sam was about talking about sex. Like I know it was supposed to be funny. It just like after a certain point, it stopped being funny and it was just cringy and annoying to yeah. us. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he, yeah, he stammered, you know, way too much. I mean, get, I do get that that was the whole point. You know, he's from a small town. They didn't talk about it. I mean, and I mean, most people don't anyway, that was Dr. Root's whole point, right? We, we have to talk more about it. So most people are going to be, you know, nervous about it, but yeah, I mean, you think he could get over it a little bit. I mean, he is a 30 year old, 30 so year old man. Like you couldn't talk about things. <laughs> You know, you can be a little bit more comfortable um, as you go along, you know. So I agree. It was it was a little bit too much. Like, I, I think they maybe it was just that they wrote it, wrote the joke, you know, too much. They didn't have to have that much of him fumbling along with it. Yeah. One of the things for me that stood out, too, is the fact that, like, you know, Sam's a doctor. Sam's delivered babies before, yeah, you right. know, um, and, and I, I think I would have liked to have seen after he kind of overcomes that initial discomfort of having to talk about it on the radio, which I could understand. He has a moment and it's all too brief where he gets excited about the possibility of like, you know, oh, there's so much good I could do. I could talk about this. I could talk about this. I could talk about this. And I I think I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more of that and less of the discomfort, especially as the episode went on, because the discomfort just lasted for the whole, you know, it's like they're poking fun at Sam's prudery, but it's like, is he really that much of a prude? Um, You know, now that, uh, now that I think about it, and we should point out, uh, a lot of the, the scenes take place at a radio station, obviously, because we're at Dr. Ruth's radio show. It is very apparent if you if you look and you pay close attention, we are on the same radio station set as Good Morning <laughs> Peoria. And now that I think about it, it would have been great like if they had kind of followed the same, uh, the same theme of Good Morning mm. Peoria, of like you have Sam being initially awkward, and then like in the second act somewhere, you would have just had this montage of just Sam like taking calls and just banging out information like yep. blah 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 next blah 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 next like whatever the Robin Williams good morning Vietnam equivalent of that would have been put it in Dr. Ruth that would have been gold right because he could yeah. have t- you could have taken it to that very technical end like he could be the doctor you know and every single thing like that could be like the next joke like he's, he's taking everything to a clinical level 
because he is, you know, because he is a doctor. But <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and the and the weird thing is, they decide to go with the psycho synergizing effect, and instead of it being Sam who becomes comfortable with these things and and things coming out from Sam's point of view, we have it as Dr. Ruth, which again gives us the gag of, you know, Scott Bakula mimicking her accent. And, 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 and I understand that there's, there's room for that kind of, you know, Oh, these are the jokes, you know, there, there's room for that. I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but I do think that it was overplayed. Um, and, and it would have been nice to see things a little bit more from Sam's perspective, because really ultimately this episode gives us, Sam the prude for comic effect and Sam the action hero and defender of women. Like that's really the only thing that we see from him throughout the course of this episode. And it's too bad because I think there was room for more. I would agree with that. Upon rewatch this morning, it also occurred to me he could have also we could have they could have also had Sammy starting to fall for Annie. (laughs) And then we could have had the Tootsie. Then we could have had the Tootsie effect. That's a whole other episode. That would be a whole other. Ah, <laughs> uh, that'd be a whole other thing. Anyway, anyway, uh, I will say one other thing. I'll add real quick though about that is I I will say that there is kind of something interesting to play with the fact that Sam's discomfort with talking about sex could be seen as an interesting commentary on our own societal discomfort with sex and how someone like Dr. Ruth was all about normalizing it. Um, and I think that the contrast between Sam's discomfort and Al being more in control with it, even though he's using Dr. Ruth's own words because he's been speaking with her, I do think that that's an interesting moment. I just think that it, it unfortunately doesn't go anywhere. I would agree with that. Let's talk about Al. Let's talk about Al in this episode. Let's talk about that first suit, that weird <laughs> black and gold, whatever. Uh, I like his suit much later in the episode. This first suit just kind of, if there's an old man, Al suit, (laughs) this is as close as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Karen, what do you think of Al? Like when he, when he pops in suit aside and, and comes out with this very like, (laughs) you know, erudite and, and just, uh, a completely non, you know, teenage boy, uh, description of, of why it's okay to talk about sex to Sam. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I thought, or just, yeah, just a totally different, you know, attitude, not something you would totally expect from him to say. Um, so I definitely was yeah, t- taken by surprise when, cause I didn't think right away that, you know, because season five is, we're doing more, you know, talking to people in the waiting room, but we haven't done a much as much of it. Like it didn't like occur to me that like that he would be talking to her already. So, yeah, completely <laughs> took me by surprise saying, hmm, where is he coming? You know, where is he getting all this from? Right. You, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because without going too much into it, as we'll get into it as, as we continue talking about the episode. But what are your thoughts? Because um, I know you mentioned earlier about sort of having obviously your own thoughts and opinions about season five that are clearly you know different from our own. But what are your thoughts about focusing more on? Project Quantum Leap and the and, and the waiting room and and the interactions that Al has in the future, basically. I generally like them. I think they're well done. I think um, some of them, like when we were when um, well, I'm trying to think of the episode um, 
earlier in the season, you know, with the um, un, uh, the guy who, you know, the murderer who, you know, nowhere runs. to run. Yeah, the, no, yeah, the the one that um, uh, killing time. Hates the killing, killing time. time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and I think it generally depends on. I think you know the actors who are in, um, you know, interacting with Al. I think I I like them better when they have you know the people who are there. So like Dr. Ruth is great. Um, you know, some of the people that are there in the future, like I, I generally like them when they're like, um, well thought out, organized, you know, like a, like kind of like in this episode, I like that she was there and she was there to help Al. And it was like just the normal part of the like show that it was a good conversation they were having. And she seemed very comfortable there, you know, that kind of thing. I liked that. I like when the interactions, I thought it goes really, you know, when, really well with the flow of the episode. So I, when it like, flows and I think, you know, and they have the right people in there, I, I like it. I think it adds to the show. Yeah. I think had the show yeah. continued on to the sixth season, this is one of the highlights, like one of the things that they added to the final season that I really enjoyed. And I would have appreciated seeing more of in future seasons is, yeah. is, is having Al have those conversations with people in the waiting room in the future and it not be, uh, confrontational or adversarial like it was with Lee Harvey Oswald, like it was with Leon Stiles, you know, um, even, even when Al has his younger self in, in, in the imaging chamber with uh, our waiting room rather, uh, during leap for Lisa. Sure. Like even, even that interaction, terrible overdubbing aside, uh, even that interaction is fairly confrontational. Um, and, and so it is interesting to see that this is, this is not that, um, and I really and like Dean Stockwell in these scenes. I mean, you know, he's just really good. He's really good. Like, I, I felt like yeah. he's he's sometimes like, I, I mean, I like him. I love him. And, you know, in the show, I think sometimes when he gets a little more bumbly or he and Sam, you know, sometimes try to play off each other. I don't like him as much. But when, you know, he's having these deep conversations and he's really interacting, I mean, I think he does a great job. So I really enjoy his acting in those scenes as well when they're in the waiting yeah. room. Yeah. I completely agree. In fact, it's interesting because even though it is obviously a memorable moment and, and, and I think, you know, people probably look at it, uh, with a, with a great sense of humor is that the, you know, when he comes up with the 22, I think it's 22 different terms for breasts because he can't say it. Uh, unfortunately in some ways that ends up being the weaker of, of those moments because it is everything else that surrounding it is so strong and they have these really nice interactions and Al is very good in this episode. And it, it, yeah, we don't, um, you know, we get like, we get a couple of moments where like the Bigfoot moment where the, you know, he's like, just call me Bigfoot before he leaves. And, and it's like, well, okay. Yeah, that's Al. Al. All right. I, I, I get that. But it is refreshing to see him have these conversations and be able to talk about his own past in a way um, that he has struggled with uh, in previous episodes. You know, even going back to like an, an episode like Jimmy, where he has a really hard time talking about his sister. Um, and so I think that this is um, it's it's just interesting to see this this growth for his character. Um, let's talk yeah, and he's, about. And he's not like, and he's you know, like you said, he has that quip, you know, about the foot, and he has when you know the when they're trying to keep the people together and stuff like that, he, you know, he has some quips, but overall, particularly in an episode about sex, you'd think he'd have more lines, you know, more of his lecherous lines that he right. cringe at so much in earlier episodes. 
Um, of course, it doesn't really go um, with the theme of this episode. So obviously, like they, they did a good job not adding those in. But it was interesting that they didn't have very many of those. His normal yeah. character. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you that you mentioned because uh, we we've kind of given them short shrift thus far, Doug and Debbie, um, because we do get this sort of like, you know, rom com moonlighting esque sexual tension relationship going on in the background uh that you know sam apparently has to to get these two to to stay together or get back together or whatever um (laughs) and 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 i feel like it's unfortunate because it it doesn't like this part of the storyline doesn't always work for me um i don't know what what do you guys think i agree this is that's definitely my least favorite part of the episode <laughs> i do not enjoy it at all <laughs> well I mean, we, I mean we talked about this in the last recording like five minutes into the episode on my first rewatch a few weeks ago one of my first notes i took was five minutes in i hate this episode i hate doug and debbie <laughs> yeah, i know whatever it's uh this is a goof that i read about after we recorded last time and i didn't catch it until this time uh this is a goof. i can't remember where i saw it online it's not in matt's book but at two different points in the episode they give Doug two different last names. Oh. Yeah. Uh, at one point he's Doug Bridges and another point he's Doug Riser. And I was just reminded of that because I'm looking at the IMDB page for this episode and they actually note that on the, like they list his character as Doug Bridges slash Riser. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Fascinating. Like so how does yeah. that happen? That's a, that, how, do, how does that, how do they not fix that in like post and like overdubbing? Because I understand that there are definitely instances on television where that has happened, where a character like, you know, debuts in an episode and then comes back, you know, eight, nine episodes later and might have a different last name or, you know, was born in a different year or different city or whatever. I get that. Like that can. But when you're talking about it happening within the same episode, it's It's so how do you not speak? I'm going to, this, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's just like how, how goofs can mess with your head. Speaking of, because we were talking about, uh, the Holocaust and Auschwitz, I can never pronounce that word correctly. Auschwitz. Yeah. You get what I mean in relation to, uh, in relation to Dr. Ruth, I'm reading a book right now called the tattooist of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It's yeah, in, I it, read it yet, but I do know yeah. it's inspired by a true story. And so I'm reading it the other night before bed, and they referred to one of their characters by their prison number, and they referred to her by her prison number several points already in the novel. And then all of a sudden they give her a different prison number. Oh. And I'm like – I'm sitting there like laying in bed, and I'm reading it, and I'm like – and I flip back to previous pages, and I'm like, is there a point that I'm missing? So I Google it, and what happens is is that – since the first edition of the novel came out, someone came back and corrected the history because this is actually based on a true person. Uh... And so they came back and in a later reprinting of the book, they fixed that error except on one page. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> and that messed with my mind for like <laughs> 20 minutes the other night. They didn't yeah. have find and replace option. And I list. don't know how that worked. I don't know. Uh, but it is weird how that uh, or something. You, you especially like in a TV show, whatever, you don't expect to see that mistake in a book. Right. Right. 
Anyway. Yeah. You know, it happens. Um, that was but, a tangent. So, Feel free to go back and cut that out later. <laughs> Doug, Doug Bridges slash Riser is played by Peter Spears, uh, who has a you know, lengthy, lengthy career, uh, lengthy set of credits listed um, on IMDb uh, going all the way up until this very year. Um, it looks like he did take a bit of a break. Um, there's not much listed um, in, in the two thousands, honestly, until we get up to about 2017. Um, but throughout the nineties did a lot of uh, television, uh, including the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, um, and an episode of friends as well, which plays in nicely to Anita Barone, uh, who plays Debbie Schaefer. Anita was actually the original, uh, Carol, on Friends, who is Ross's first wife, ex-wife, um, who is the the mother of his son, um, and of course, the interesting thing about that is that the actor that will go on to play Carol for the remainder of Friends um, is someone that we have already seen before on Quantum Leap, um, and and that actor is, is is escaping me right now because my computer just decided to stop working. Jane Sibbett. Uh, played uh, Carol for the rest of the run of the show. And, uh, of course, she had already been uh, on an episode of Quantum Leap uh, playing Diane Frost in A Hunting We Will Go. So uh, just an interesting little bit of, of, of kind of casting trivia there. Um, and the thing about Doug and Debbie's storyline is I, I don't feel it's the fault of the actors I feel as though it's just the story they're given and, and, and the lines they're given. They don't get, they don't quite get something that makes me fully invest, especially the conversation they end up having at the restaurant with Sam later in the episode. Yeah. I do fault them for their accents though. I couldn't listen to the <laughs> accents. Oh my gosh. They were awful. <laughs> Yeah. Top of the bickering. And then they had to do New York accents, but then they weren't even good New York. Like they were like, sometimes they were there and sometimes they weren't. I was like, oh, this is terrible. Especially at one point in the episode when you have Al intentionally giving a bad New York accent. (laughs) You can't have actors unintentionally giving bad accents in the same episode. (laughs) And also, we talked about this last recording. It's uh also, Doug and Debbie's comedy shtick, it just does not go well juxtaposed with the main plot of this episode. And there's yeah. one particular te- there's one particular scene towards the end of the episode where it goes from their comedy bit and we go to a direct cut to a very threatening moment between Annie and her boss in her apartment. And though, yeah, those two uh, genres are, are, are jarring. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and I think so, you know, in our first round of phone calls that Sam has to take as Dr. Ruth, there's, of course, you know, a lot of stuff about um, the penis size and, and premature ejaculation, stuff that he doesn't want to answer. And so he's like quickly kind of like trying to get through these calls. And then he gets a call at the very end uh, from a young lady named Annie. And she's talking about um, the fact that her boss has been um harassing her at work and she doesn't know what to do. And then she has to hurry off the phone. Sam is obviously very concerned. Um, and it's, it's something that sticks with him. Um, and, and does give us sort of our, you know, our main, our, our main bit uh, of story, uh, for the episode. And when we get to the book signing, um, 
he actually comes face to face with her. And I think that the book signing scene is actually done really, really well. And one of the things I really love about it is the fact that Jonathan, the boss, who is the, the harasser, is in the background of the scene. But no attention is drawn to him at all until Annie sees him. And I think that that is just a wonderful, wonderful bit of, of television making, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, uh, Karen, what are your thoughts about, uh, about Annie and, and her appearance at the book signing? So, yeah, I agree. I think, I think it, it was very well done as a good follow-up, you know, to the phone call and then having her sign her book. I, for it, as you know, for the storyline overall, I was a little, it was kind of disappointing that they make it so, um, dramatic. Like I, I thought they would have been, um, a better, it would have been a better storyline. Again, this is the nineties. So, you know, it's kind of probably what it would be if we did it today, but, um, it would have been a better like thing that if it was, he's harassing her, she's just worried about getting fired. Like it ramps up super quickly from, you know, Oh, he's, I'm I don't want to say anything because I want to get fired to he's now threatening me, (laughs) you know? Sure. And it's one of those things like you only have like 43 minutes, uh, you know, in an episode of television, it's got to get ramped up. You know, it's it, it's going to get ramped up pretty quickly. And it's. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, how it goes from him kind of like stalking her at the book signing to to like literally gassing her or potentially gassing her like like the next time we come back to that storyline. It was like they were trying to cram like a. uh, uh a made for TV movie, like movie of the week, because we talked about this last recording. There were a lot of movies of this genre and the, and the, and the TV movie of the week back in the, back in the late eighties, early nineties. And I feel like they were trying to cram all of that into, into a much shorter episode. But anyway, so that those, these so two, I knew that they wanted to wanted, like, yeah. you know, that, that they wanted to throw this drama because like you said, that's part of what they did in the nineties. I just, it, it would it would have had a better nuance if it was like oh figure out you know it, it's just that he's going to get her fired if you know that's mm-hmm. bad, that's bad enough that if she says anything he's going to be fired I I know there's less of a easy way to resolve that in the forty minutes it's easier to send the guy to jail right <laughs> no but I completely agree with you Karen and I think one of the things that Dennis and I even talked about last time is the fact that because we go we go from a woman who is you know, uncomfortable, maybe even scared of her boss at work and and his harassment to all of a sudden, like potentially he sneaks into her apartment, turns on the gas and tries to frame her, you know, suicide or whatever to breaking into her house, attempting to rape her and beat her. And like, it, it does feel like we ratcheted up the drama for the sake of the drama, as opposed to trying to tell a very real, very human story, which I think that in 1993, you know, that, that wasn't the way that these stories were told, which is unfortunate because I think that honestly, in, 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 in some way, and this is not in any way, some sort of blanket indictment of, films that dealt with, you know, television shows that dealt with rape in, 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 in strong ways. But because we saw so many extremes represented to us dramatically, it allowed, I think, a lot of the more subtle and insidious forms of harassment and assault to go unchecked. Because in the public perception, it was all of a sudden the idea of, well, if it's not that. Right. And I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on on that because it's it's just you know this is just my thought on it, and 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 I don't know what you know what you would say about that. Me? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's totally it. I think once they ramped it up, then the whole idea, like, and it, and it sounded like they had, like, it's in there. The language is in there that you know I'm afraid I'm going to get fired if I say anything. Um, and he's hitting on me if they just kind of kept it that way. Um, but then they ramp it up. So yeah, it's exactly what you just said. It's that because it's not so, um, it's not the evil, like this is definitely like, there's no, you know, no one can argue that that's right or wrong. Like that's definitely wrong. But then you're saying that, but if it's not this, like, I'm not trying to rape or kill my employee. So I'm, you know, obviously I'm not what I'm not, I'm not harassing them. You know, I'm not doing what you say I'm doing, which the much subtler forms of harassment are a lot harder to um, call out, especially then. I mean, we're, we're slightly getting better, but not really. But yeah. some people but are trying. <laughs> yeah. But even yeah. In, in, in defense of the writing, in defense of the episode, I don't even think in fiction we, we handled the subtler forms of sexual harassment now in 2020. And also, we, we you know we talk about this a lot. It's a forty-three minute uh, episode of television that they they expect people to only half pay attention to while they're doing other things. Sometimes you got to beat things over the head just to make sure that at any given point, if someone tunes into the episode, they know precisely what's going on. Yeah. Yep. But that no, being said, uh, I was going to say like maybe some of the positive points is. Uh, what they do do with with the Annie and the Jonathan scenes as far as like the camera work goes and how those scenes are directed, mm-hmm. just them on their own, they are very well done and executed. Absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, two of my favorite scenes of the episode are the scene where Sam goes to the office to help her collect her things and leave. And Jonathan confronts them and and, and basically, I mean, gaslights her and and then almost literally gaslights her when he you know, turns on the gas at her house. Um, and then, and then as uncomfortable as it is to watch, but perhaps because it is so uncomfortable to watch, but the attempted rape scene is really well done and really well shot and, and, and very uncomfortable. Um, you know, there's that like ceiling shot where the, you know, the camera is basically like in the ceiling fan, if you will, uh, which is, which is just really, really well done. Um, we haven't actually talked about Robin Lively who plays Annie uh, yet, but uh, she's, I think she does a great job in the episode, you know, at this particular point in her career, she's fairly young, um, but she had already done um, a number of, of movies and, and had some lead roles um, and was kind of for a while there seen as sort of like the next, you know, sort of ingenue doing some of the teen, you know, movies that she did. Um, of course, my favorite story about her will always be when she was doing the Karate Kid 3, uh, Ralph Macchio, who had obviously aged out of the Daniel role quite a bit by that point, uh, was uncomfortable in any romantic scenes with her, so much so that the writers and directors actually changed their nature of their relationship in the film because at the time of filming, she was only 17. Um, and, and I think Ralph Macchio was like 29. Um, and he didn't want to, to, to have any sort of you know, romantic scenes with her at all. So they were just friends. 
Well, good for Ralph Macchio. I was just about to say that. <laughs> right? <laughs> for, also, she was in an episode of one of my favorite underrated series of the early 90s, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Ah, yes. You know, oddly, not the first time we've spoken about Parker Lewis. Can't no, lose no. Stay tuned for our next after the Rockford Files. Oh, we're going to no. hit Parker Lewis can't lose. That's going to be a much shorter podcast. That's probably going to be pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have two listeners. Um, <laughs> and we'll be it. Yeah. Uh, she also had a stint on uh, – I, I think this is kind of interesting. She had a stint on Doogie Howser, MD, and then she immediately went from Doogie Howser into Chicago Hope. And in both of those uh, shows, she played a nurse, um, um, which I just think is is, is kind of funny. Uh, she had also had uh, just come off of doing – six episodes of Twin Peaks in season two, um, which is a show that we've, we've kind of noted some of the connections with uh, Quantum Leap before, as far as like actors, directors, and some of the crossover that we've had. Um, but yeah, I think she does. I think she does a great job uh, as, as Annie in this episode in particular, because, you know, she is supposed to just basically play the kind of the willowy frightened uh, secretary. Um, but especially in the scenes when she interacts with Sam, I think there's a lot more going on, and, and, and I appreciated that because she doesn't just play the victim. Absolutely. Upon the rewatch the second time around, uh, there's a character that's not even listed on IMDb. It's Annie's neighbor, oh, which, she, yeah. which she calls by name at one point. <laughs> oh. like, she, like she shows up when, when Annie gets gassed, and Sam's like, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. And then she comes over to check on Annie during the final confrontation scene. Like, Annie, is there fighting? Annie, are you okay? And, and then she's just brushed. She's brushed <laughs> off. She's brushed aside. It's such a weird introduction of a character but i don't even know if you ever actually like see her full face well, in the two plus, seats that she's so in late too it was like a full 10 minutes after the <laughs> confrontation are you okay is there any yeah. like, it's, a, it's all over now like you're really late <laughs> i yeah. don't know if that's like it was like supposed to be a weird i don't know like commentary on neighbors in new york right, i don't know right. but like, so i'm gonna check on you but uh, yeah i was like oh, a little late now like we're all we're all set now could have come yeah. Earlier, that would have been helpful. <laughs> isn't that isn't that the way though? Isn't that like the cliche of of like the neighbor who you, you know waits until after the fight is over or whatever, and then kind of comes in and be like, "Is everything okay? Can I help? Can I like?" It's like you, you didn't do anything when it was happening. <laughs> yeah, am I no longer in danger of having to do anything? Okay. Right now, right. now I will make the token effort. <laughs> um. You know, I think that um, that Jonathan obviously is is played pretty much just you know as 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 the villain, and he he doesn't have any redeeming qualities, and nor nor should he in our forty five minutes that we get to spend with this episode. Um, but I do think that one of the things, especially looking at it from today's lens, that's interesting about his characterization is the fact that he does take that route that 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 very nefarious route of of gaslighting her blaming it all on her of her it's it's all her she you know it's like why are you doing this annie like i'm sorry i'm married i you know it's like i i don't want you to get the wrong idea it's it's all her fault it's all her fault and obviously we know that that's not the case um but it is it, it is an interesting tactic to to see him take um and of course we also get our small kiss with history uh, although one could argue the entire episode, I guess, is somewhat of a kiss with history since he's playing Dr. Dr. Ruth, Ruth. Yeah. Uh, uh, at, at the office scene. 
um, as Sam is basically encouraging Annie to stand up and, and, you know, tells Jonathan, you know, women aren't going to always have to take this. Basically, uh, we see a woman being called into the elevator by her name, Anita. And, uh, it's clear that that is supposed to be Anita Hill. Yeah. It's funny. I remember that. And I do, I don't remember when I watched it, I forgot. I didn't hear it then when I just rewatched it, but I, I remember that when I first watched it. <laughs> and I think this is the only kiss with history that Sam is not aware of. The, mm-hmm. the audience is aware of it. I don't think Sam ever picks up on picks up. I don't think he ever notices Anita. And it's also interesting to point out uh, this scene takes place on April 25th, 19. 19- 85, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think like the leap in date is shown April 25th, but like from Matt's book, like the action of the story, like this day is April 25th, 1985. Just coincidentally, it was April 25th, 2019, when Joe Biden's campaign officially apologized to Anita Hill for how he handled his part Mm -hmm. in the hearings of Anita Hill versus Clarence Thomas. Yeah, just just a weird coincidence. Another thing to add to that layer cake is that this would also be our only kiss with history that had um, happened during the run of the show. So in other words, all of the kisses with history that we have are with figures that we would have been familiar with when the show started airing. But the public at large did not really become familiar with Anita Hill until mid 1991. So the show had already been on for a few few years when the story broke and when she would have become a public figure. So it's, it's also, I think just interesting to note that this kiss with history is only possible during the run of the show. Um, and we don't need to dive into, you know, the background of, of the sexual harassment case against Clarence Thomas. It's, it's well known. Um, but I do think that one of the things that contextually is interesting about this particular episode and that connection is that because of the conversations that we have been having over the past couple of years and because of the Me Too movement, uh, Anita Hill has become a figure who I think is being appreciated in a way um, that she should have been at the moment. Um, But now I I think the conversation that, that we're able to have around her is one that is, that is hopefully, um, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to articulate it, but uh, even I, I think the, the, the best thing anybody can do, in my opinion, is to go watch the interview that John Oliver does with Anita Hill for his show last week tonight, because it's a great interview and it's not an interview where, you know, he's looking for a joke or they're looking for a punchline. It's a serious interview. And it's just done incredibly well. And, and he lets her speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Along those lines, uh, I've not seen his interview of Anita Hill. I have seen his interview of Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And, and, and very, and very much, yeah, of that, of that same, of that same vein. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Now, Karen, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't mean this, uh, in any negative way, but because you were older than we were at the time this episode aired, um, and, and, and that kiss with history, not necessarily being super overt, but what was your awareness, just out of curiosity, at that particular point in time of Anita Hill and of, of the trials? Yeah, I mean, I theory, don't remember rather. exactly. I have such a bad memory of the past, but <laughs> my own. <laughs> but, I mean, I would assume, again, like I was like 20, so, and I was in college, so I'm sure that I knew, you know, that that was going on. And because I didn't catch it, 
this time, this rewatch, but I knew what you were going to say when you were talking about the kiss with history. I'm sure it was like, I, you know, noticed it right away. And that, yeah, we knew all that. I was definitely following the, the hearings and everything. I wasn't as, um, tuned into, again, it's just a whole different, um, it's just a different conversation than we're having today in terms of, you know, it was a, you know, I was totally aware of her allegations. I believed her, you know, all this stuff, but I also wasn't as, um, you know, opposed to the people who were asking her all the questions like Joe Biden or any, you know, that, that were grilling her on this. And it was kind of, you know, back then it was just more of a, well, we really need to see what happened. Not that I, you know, I totally believed her, but it was, you know, it's just interesting. It's just an interesting conversation. So it was less of a, oh, she's being railroaded. This is terrible. And more like, a, oh, this, if this happened, you know, this was really terrible. And, um, but I definitely followed the the hearings and I definitely remember like being disgusted that he was still, <laughs> that he was still confirmed. Like, you know, I, yeah. I, you know, I was that sure of her her testimony that, you know, similar to what we had just a couple of years ago with our next yeah. Supreme Court justice. So, it, you know, it was very similar, but I definitely followed, followed those hearings. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not too, not too far from my mind with, with the Kavanaugh um, confirmation hearings, which were. <sighs> which kind of, it kind of shows that we were talking about it more, but the same people are in power. So we haven't had that change, which goes to your discussion on your liberation podcast, which is how do you change? You know, how do you make change? And yes, it's great to change it in the system, but if it's the same people in power, how fast is that change actually going to happen? And we yeah. see this is 26 years later and the same, basically the same exact thing just happened. So how much are we actually changing? <laughs> Even though we're talking about it, people in power are still the same. So there's not that much hasn't changed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because it is, you know, it is, it's one thing to change the nature of the conversation, which is a positive thing. Right. I, I would never say that, you know, that, that there's anything bad about that. But even recently uh, I, I went back and, and watched um, uh, made in America, the OJ Simpson documentary that ESPN did, uh, which is brilliant. I mean, just an incredible documentary on every, every layer, but obviously they spend a lot of time in the, in the first couple of episodes examining um, the the uh, the racist policies of LAPD and and of course what happened with the riots um, um, not only the the Rodney King riots but even the Watts riots going back even further and and, and the lens through which I viewed that was so different because of where we are right now than how I viewed it when that documentary premiered which was only two years ago. <laughs> so it's, 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 it, 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 it is one of those things where you look at it and you just think, man, the same thing keeps happening. But I guess at least at least we're talking about it maybe in a different way or thinking about it in a different way. And hopefully if we continue to do that, whether it's because, you know, they're old and they die off and new power takes over or, or we're able to actually oust them completely, we'll have hopefully, you know, better, better outcomes. Um because unfortunately we can't all have a Sam Beckett who rushes in right. and kicks somebody in the face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we, should we talk about the sight gags that get played in this episode? Uh, because Sam is Dr. Ruth. And some of the, the mirror image shots that we have. Oh, sure. Are, oh, oh, are we talking about stunt Ruth? 
Oh yeah, stunt rig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, stunt rig. So, you know, to, to jump back on just a point of uh, of Anita Hill, and this is something I, I caught during my rewatch this morning. It's uh, Sam is considerably not considerably taller, but slightly taller than Jonathan. Mm. Doctor Ruth is like four foot eleven. <laughs> and I just when I was catching that shot of Anita Hill looking over Jonathan's shoulder and saying, quote, Dr. Ruth, how in reality she would have to look down and around Jonathan. Yeah, to actually see to actually see Dr. Ruth. I just find it fascinating, you know, like how we they, they play with uh, the aura and how that really works and and all of that. But I'm thinking you know, about that when someone else, I think it was when Debbie was talking, it was when someone else was talking to him and I was just thinking she would not be looking there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If she was really looking at Dr. Rusora, she would be looking down. I thought the same thing. Yeah. I like to, you know, I like to think that it's kind of like the universal translator in, in Star Trek. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, we should see their lips moving in a different fashion, but we don't. And you know, and it's like, they should be looking you know, down or up or whatever the case may be in Sam's instance, you know, for instance, when Jonathan goes to punch Sam in the face, you know, he should be punching thin air basically. <laughs> but, but because of, uh, uh, would you say he should be punching show, down? Whatever. Oh no, <laughs> no, no. All right, never mind. Uh, no, no. Um, but we do, we are treated to some amusing shots, uh, of Sam running through the streets and over cars, Mm-hmm. Uh, in Manhattan, and the mirror image shots are so obviously a stunt person. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's almost like intentionally comical. Yeah, yeah. Like we are obviously looking at a drag Dr. Ruth. Like it's a stunt man in drag. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, even like the even the uh, the gate with which the stunt person like walks and runs is mm-hmm. so different from anything that you would think of as like Dr. Ruth's gate. And it's and it, it is it, you, you do almost have to wonder if it was like intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Interesting, to say the least. Um, and speaking of this is kind of the in, the in the same category, and we've talked about this in several episodes before. There's one instance in the episode where Doug and Debbie see Dr. Ruth talking to herself yes. like so much like she they, they think that she is that she is going mentally ill and, and they're and they're going to have a serious conversation with her. And, of course, they don't show Dr. Ruth. They show Scott Bakula doing that back and forth. And I'm like. You already you're already using her in the episode like she has entire talking scenes in the waiting room. How hard would it have been to shake up convention and actually have Dr. Ruth? And she even had the outfit too, the mirror image. So it wasn't right. You had to get a, you know, get him, you know, another costume for her. (laughs) She already had that for the mirror. It, you know, it's it's funny to to note that Scott Bakula uh, had said that one of the you know, he he was thrilled that she took part in the episode, but one of the disappointing things for him is that he didn't get to actually have any scenes with her, um, just due to the nature of the episode. So, if nothing else, maybe if they would have you know done a few more shots of that nature, at least he would have gotten to share some space <laughs> with her uh, <laughs> during the making of the episode. Um, but you, you know, obviously. It, Sam is able to keep Debbie and Doug together and set them on the right course. 
Um, and, 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 and we have, again, those moments where, uh, Sam speaking at, or Dr. Ruth really speaking through Sam is able to tell them what they need to hear in order to keep them together. Um, and then we get our climactic scene where Sam ends up rescuing Annie from Jonathan's evil clutches. Um, but this is where the episode I think really does get interesting. And this kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier with Al in this episode, because Sam doesn't leap right away. He does not. And Ziggy says it's, yeah. Yeah. It's not that, for Sam. That, for Al, the, yeah. Right. And this is one um, of the few episodes where the, the, the episode ends not focused on Sam. Yeah. You know, he's just left hanging out. So let's, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but let's talk a little bit about how comfortable Dr. Ruth seems about being in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They don't show the scene where he explains what she's doing there. But by the time we see her, she's like, yeah, sure. It makes sense. Here I am in the future. Uh, And and they do have some lovely conversations. And of course, the conversation is centered around and focused on uh, Al's relationship with Tina. And he's having difficulty, I think, communicating with her. He's having difficulty, you know, raising the level of intimacy beyond being like this kind of fun sexual relationship. Um, and, and, you know, Tina has said, I love you and Al can't really say it back to her. Um, and I think that the conversations that they're having just are really, really nice again for Al's growth as a character. Um, I know Dennis, what are some of your thoughts about, about these scenes? I really enjoy these scenes. They add a new aspect. Um, they add a new aspect to the show and, uh, it adds a nice introduction of like oh, a different thing they could start doing with the show of having Al speaking mm. with with you know with the with the person in the waiting room, and I'm sure from a production and from a practical standpoint, I'm sure Scott Bakula might have been relieved to start seeing more of these scenes <laughs> placed in to just give him a friggin' break from having to be yeah. in in almost every scene. Um, it would have been interesting to see where they would have taken it, like where they have allowed. Or they brought on like uh, Doctor Beaks in in later seasons, and we've talked about it before. Like in the in the um, in the novels, Doctor Beaks has a lot of interaction with the with the people in the waiting room as well. Um, I know, had there been a sixth season, they uh, his health issues aside, they were going to have Dennis Wolfberg on the show uh, more frequently as Gushy. It would have been more interesting to see more Project Quantum Leap. Yeah, um, um, that's one of the aspects that I really enjoy about the novels. Actually, in a lot of the novels, like Sam's leaps are pretty lackluster. To me, what's interesting is what's going on back at the project. Yeah, um, absolutely. So this is something um, I think introducing this new element of the show is one of the the really strong points that season five has to offer that the other seasons don't have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I think that it's a nice window into what we might have gotten from Dean Stockwell in general going forward, because while he has had incredibly strong performances prior to this and he has had some episodes where he doesn't just feel like Mr. Exposition with the hand link, um, I think for the most part, that's kind of what we see from from Al. It's the nature of his character. It's the nature of the relationship between he and Sam. But this gives us a, a nice peek, I think, at where things would have gone because of course the you know, season six would have been built around 
uh, Al leaping as well. And, you know, Al would have been, you know, leaping after Sam to try and find him. Uh, and I think that we would have gotten more scenes of Al interacting with people that aren't Sam, um, which, which, which would have been nice because while their relationship is obviously you know, the core relationship of the show, um, we know, we know for a fact that Dean Stockwell is an incredibly capable actor and would have been able to, you know, flourish in, in being able to have scenes with, with other characters. Sure. Um, I wonder how Dean it, Stockwell would have actually enjoyed that though. Cause like it, it's on record in several different places that one of the reasons why he loved this gig was that it, he wasn't in a whole lot of scenes and he had a relatively very easy job. Yeah. I I'm interested to see, uh, in an alternate reality where we got that sixth season where Al was more physically present in the leaps, how much Dean right. Stockwell would have actually enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. God, God only knows. Oh, uh, I know. Right. <laughs> but, um, one of the things, um, that, that the the you know ending note of the episode uh, for me that unfortunately doesn't work in the context of what happens in the season finale or series finale for that matter is that we come to this moment where Al says I love Tina and 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 Dr. Ruth is able to get it out of him in a way that is really lovely and honest and refreshing to see, you know, in, in, in television that that he's able to appreciate the fact that Beth was the love of his life. He he loved Beth. He you know, he still loves Beth, but he also loves Tina. He just loves her in a different way. You know, it's not about loving somebody more or less. It's loving somebody, you know, in a different manner. And, and he, he, it empowers him to go out and tell Tina that he loves her. And it's a really great moment. It's this wonderful bit of character building for Al. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean shit. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring up a counterpoint to that, that I didn't think of the last time when we recorded this okay. episode. But had there been a sixth season, we probably would have seen more of Beth back yes. at the project, especially knowing, uh, having seen that lost filmed ending between Dean Stockwell and, and Susan Dial that, that yep. came out about a year ago now, I think. I think... In a sixth season, like almost right away, we would have been told that Tina was married to Gushy and that Tina turned out okay. It would have been an interesting if, if there were any scenes of Al back at Quantum Loop. I don't really know if they would have followed through with, with Al physically leaping after Sam. Well, I, yeah, I, I wonder if I, it would have lasted more than the season premiere, basically, honestly. Yeah, I'd like they may have done like a season premiere thing or they may have found some way to do like a great like – expositional reset button at the start of the sixth season. Maybe we would have seen more of, of everybody back at the project. I would like to, to like for them to have explored like Al remembering his relationship with Tina, but Tina not remembering it and just always having remembered like being with Gushy. So I was just going to say that because that's one of the issues too, right? Because he seems to remember what Sam changes. So he would be aware of that, whereas no one else would be aware of it. But I was just thinking the same exact thing. Like, I wonder how that would have worked. He's now back, but now, but he's like, oh, but I had this whole relationship. Well, with a lot of people, but my latest relationship, (laughs) I was still, I'm still in, I was still in a relationship with and she's still here in the project. So, yeah. yeah. The same and thing. there's I think we mentioned on a previous episode, there's one of the novels that explores this idea very beautifully. Um, I think it's Random Measures. And I'm, I'm not sure, Karen, how familiar you are with the with the novel range. 
I've read some of I had I did read some of them. I don't have any memory of like which ones I read but, and what they were about, but I did definitely read some of them. So there's there's one novel where Sam just by leaping into where he leaps into and just by immediately start doing something different from the leap he did in the original history, he changes history to the point that uh, another scientist comes to work on Project Quantum Leap and she arrives like three days earlier than what she did in the original history. And because she arrives three days earlier, Al meets her before he meets Tina and they end up falling in love and getting married. But of course, by the end of the novel, when Sam puts right what he needs to put right, he totally undoes this. And then after that point, Al remembers both of those realities. That scientist is still working at Project Quantum Leap, but it was like one of those like they didn't meet at the right time. They were just two ships passing at the night, passing in the night. And so now they're just acquaintances. Yeah, I find all that super fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting to explore those in the books. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the idea that Al is able to experience these sort of parallel, you know, realities and timelines and have those those memories uh, is it's something that who knows what will happen. But should we get some sort of reboot or or whatever, reimagining whatever Peacock NBC (laughs) Universal wants to call it, uh, uh, it would be really interesting to explore something like that. Because I, I think that just, you know, I mean, psychologically speaking, like, what would that do to someone, you know, to have like, multiple sets of memories of multiple, you know, lifetimes, basically. Um, and sure, we've seen it played with before in terms of like reincarnation, but to have someone that's like, you know, not that that's not the case, that it's literally just having experienced like, multiple sort of like pathways that time could have taken. Um, and, and that's not what we were going to get in 1993 from quantum leap, but, uh, it, it's, it's what podcasts like this are meant for. <laughs> Podcast um, fan fiction and yeah, all that. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, the reason why I say that is that the reason why I say that it doesn't mean anything ultimately is because I feel like it's such a beautiful moment and it lands so well that, that they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have any long-term plans. This wasn't like, you know, this wasn't uh, like a lot of narrative television shows that are out there today where they know, you know, point A to point B to point C to point D or at the very least know what they're going to do, you know, for a season or two or something like that ahead of time. Um, as such, there was no long-term planning into the effect that something like this would happen have on the show. And, and I think that it's something that we see even in an, another show that would have been contemporary of quantum leap at the time, like star Trek, the next generation, how many times have we even spoken about it on this podcast where you get 45 minutes of a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And we see some character development and then the great star Trek reset button is hit. And by the time we get to the next episode, everything is exactly the same as it was again. And, and that was just the nature of the storytelling. And I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with that, but it is to me, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say like, man, that's really great. Oh, it doesn't really mean anything. Beyond the confines of this episode. Right. Absolutely. Two words. Oh, boy. The, the Orville. Oh. <laughs> and their latest season, they, they actually do uh, – yeah, they do a really good job of, like, finding ways to, like, hit the reset button enough to bring in the casual viewer, but to continue 
stories, like even the stories along the vein of like, what would have happened if we had met at different points in our lives? Yada, yada, yada story. Uh, yeah. The Orville, the Orville is the best Star Trek series on TV right now. I'm sorry, Karen, go ahead. What platform is it on? I haven't watched it yet. Uh, it was on Fox, but now they are moving to Hulu. Okay. So I might be able to get the first couple of seasons. Well, if they're moving to Hulu, I can see them there. But uh, I, might I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the reruns are already on Hulu. Um, and I, I think we've talked about it on the show before. If you like Star Trek, you will enjoy the Orville. Um, as the Orville goes on, it becomes very clear that Seth MacFarlane basically just wanted to do his own version of Star Trek. But he knew that the only way he would get to do it was that if he promised Fox his trademark Seth mcfarland humor and as the show goes on like that just slowly fades out um and then they two seasons in they still have not mastered that that back and forth between the, the 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 comedy and like actual star trek but they do some stories that are as every bit as good as star trek as the best star trek episodes so that's my plug for the orville which will be coming after uh rockford files Parker Lewis can't lose. Yeah. Then the Orville. There we go. Three. <laughs> I, I, didn't we say sports night was going to be what we did next? Sports night. Yeah. Sports night. Yeah. So yeah. Sports night. Rockford files. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so after all of this happens, we get this wonderful moment where, oh, well, I don't know if it's wonderful, uh, but we get this moment where Dr. Ruth, you know, kind of clasps her hands, puts him down on the, on the bench and is like, who's next, you know? Uh, and then of course the leaping effect occurs and now all of a sudden there's a man standing there and he looks up at the camera and he gives us quite the snarl. And there are those teeth, the fangs. I think the only is- instance in all of Quantum Leap, 97 episodes, where the fourth wall is broken. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's- Karen, what, what are your thoughts? So this is one of those episodes that I actually don't mind this next episode. I think it's funny. I like it. <laughs> I take it. I, you know, I don't, I mean, it has its moments, you know, that are like, Oh my gosh. But I just, I, I like the humor. I, we just, I just rewatched it. Cause I had a couple of, you know, a little bit of time yesterday morning after I watched Dr. Root. So I watched a couple moving forward and I like it. I think it's funny. <laughs> It'll be interesting to rewatch it. Cause I was remarking to you um, that, that I hadn't, seen this in, in, in a, quite a while. Um, and so I haven't rewatched it yet, but I, I will be doing so soon. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I just, I, I think in my mind, you know, I have a picture of what this episode is and now I'm going to watch it and it could be completely different. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a great episode for television. I just, I think, again, I think the interaction between Scott and Dean is just really good. It, Scott's quips. I just, I think they're funny. I think they're funny. Now, so, <laughs> I enjoy most of it. Some of it, yeah, is definitely over the top. And like I said, it's not a great story, but I laugh through it, so I don't mind it so much. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Dennis, have you rewatched it yet? Blood Moon? Uh, yeah. No, I have not. Okay. I have not. And I, um, I think I rewatched it sometime shortly after getting the Blu-rays. Um mm-hmm. Talking to Betsy about it, I know we, we sat down at some point and we watched the episode together. And actually going back and rewatching it last time, uh, there was one point where I thought Blood Moon was far and away the worst episode in the series. Yeah. And I and I don't think that anymore because I, I feel 
you have to watch Blood Moon and give it the benefit of the doubt that they were trying to do like their like their homage to like old monster vampire movies or like old classic dark shadows. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they were trying to do. And if you look at it through that vein as a genre episode, then you know what it is. I think it's 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 better than some of the other episodes that we have coming up in the second half or, or the, the 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 last few. Uh, episodes of season five for for what that's worth. Speaking of, we don't have yeah. very many left. I was just looking at the air dates going through the rest of the season. From now until the end of the series, when the show originally aired, no less than two weeks went by between every airing of every episode. They may have put they may have put some reruns in there, but there was at least two weeks between every new episode of the series from here throughout the end of the run, if not longer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the show was, was was scheduling wise had been moved around at this point had been, you know, preempted for, for things. Um, And, and, and now here we are in the home stretch and we're getting some consistency. And I can remember as a kid, you know, I missed a couple of episodes because of the fact that uh, it switched nights uh, or it didn't air one week or, you know, that sort of thing. So um, it is interesting to think that it had some consistency going into the home stretch here. And Dennis, you might know the answer to to this. I haven't done enough reading ahead uh, in beyond the mirror image or in, um, you know, online, but did they know at this point that the show was not going to get another season? I would assume that they wouldn't because of the ending that they did shoot for mirror image. They shot multiple endings. So I think it was probably on the bubble, right? Um, I'm sure they, they knew that they were at risk. I mean, we talked about it, uh, back at the start of the season, like Don Belisario knew that they had to like pull out all the stops for ratings and get in the next season. And we'll talk about it more in mirror image, but the way I understand it from, from reading the history of from what everybody said, uh, Belisario was told to write a last episode that could serve many functions as yeah. a as a season finale and as a series finale. After he submitted the show to the network, they said, "Don't worry, you're going to get picked up." And then, um, at some point, they found out they that they were canceled. Yeah, um, it was to the point. Um, and I'll read deeper before we get to mirror image when they had the season wrap party. Um, it was apparently very awkward because they knew that they were most likely going to be canceled, but they hadn't gotten the official word yet. Right. Uh, and the, and the last wrap party and like Dean Stockwell's birthday party was kind of mashed up into one, but there was another unit that was still shooting some wrap up stuff for the episode. So the tech crew didn't get to be part of the party. So Scott Bakula out of his own pocket, he paid for a wrap party for the tech crew, uh, which just sounds like the perfectly like Scott Bakula thing that, that Scott Bakula would do. Um, but I, at this point, Scott Bakula's you're the Scott Bakula. So the, ah, there's a t-shirt right there. Um, they, they, yeah. Uh, long answer to a short question. They, they knew that they were risk at risk of yeah. being canceled. Um, at this point. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think I, I think even a, a bit of stunt casting like this would 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 indicate that. Yeah, I, you know, just of note because we have talked about it on previous episodes. Uh, I'll be brief, but um, tour.com, um, 
you know, in their review of this episode, uh, I think that the neat thing is, is that they were able to appreciate it for what it was in some ways, but did kind of come down on the fact that, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't one of quantum leaps finest hours. Uh, they, they actually the, the, wrote the line, uh, the TV equivalent of a wacky rubber chicken, um, <laughs> which, which I think is a great line. Um, and then over on the MacGyver project, uh, our buddy over there, and he was not very kind to it. Um, basically said that this was kind of jump the shark beginning of the end territory and ranked it 12th from the bottom, uh, on his list of, of episodes. Um, over uh, at Al's place, uh, the message boards kind of, you know, it gets mostly middling reviews, uh, you know, kind of in the average category, um, which I, which I would mostly agree with. I think there are some things that kind of help to elevate it a bit and there are other things that drag it down. So it does kind of just land somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think overall, again, it's one of those episodes that you can enjoy for what it is. Uh, there are definitely some issues with it. Um, but uh, it's where we were, you know, in season five, this is what they were doing. They, they were pulling out the stops, you know, we had definitely, we were texting back to this the other night. They had definitely jumped the shark at this point. And we we're talking about if there was a, uh, if there was a reverse term for jump the shark, like when a fledgling series hits its stride. And I had heard this before, but you, you Googled it. The, the well, reverse term for jump the shark is it's growing the beard which is a Star Trek The Next Generation reference for when Jonathan Frakes grew the beard for Will Riker. The funny thing is, is I, I didn't know that at the time. Like I, I, I remembered it when I, when I, when I read it, but I think I texted you immediately just as a joke. I was something like, I don't know, the Borg arrive because I was thinking of Star Trek Next Generation and when the Borg show up and you know, that's what the show really gets good. And then I, <laughs> I Googled it and I was like, Holy shit. It actually is a Star Trek The Next Generation reference. It's just, you know, this different one. Um, but yeah, we're well past when Quantum Leap grew its beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, uh, do we do we have final thoughts on, on Dr. Ruth? Yeah, Karen, what do you what do you think? I think kind of like I said at the beginning, I think it's entertaining. I, you know, didn't have not really too many bad things to say about it. It's good. Not one of my favorites, but I'm, you know, I, it's not, it's not one I necessarily, you know, when I'm looking through to go back and see which episodes I want, I, I, in the past, I wouldn't, you know, pick it, but maybe I would, this, you know, more <laughs> this time. Cause it's, it's, it's all right. Yeah. It's entertaining. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting it's, to it's me. Debbie, <laughs> if I can, <laughs> if I use them, then yeah, maybe I'll go back and watch that. <laughs> It's interesting to me how, especially in this day and age where we have so much uh, at our fingertips, whether through streaming or home video, um, that rewatching certain things, like there are certain shows, Star Trek being one of them, Quantum Leap being one of them, where I will rewatch certain episodes. And, and then you get to a point where it's like, well, I've seen this one four or five times. I want something a little different. And you'll throw an episode on that you maybe would not have, you know, put in your rewatch originally. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that that's a good way to kind of classify this episode. And, and, and quite frankly, I feel that way about a lot of season four and five episodes of quantum leap. They're not, you know, the bulk of them are not episodes that would be my go-to on a rewatch, but I think through the podcast and because there are episodes that I've seen so many times now, there are those sort of like hidden gems almost that I would go and dig up and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to throw this one on instead. I, I think I've said this before in a previous episode. 
I think upon rewatch, I will put season five over season four. Season season yeah. five season five is was at least trying something new. Right. Season four was just kind of coasting. Yeah. Four, yeah, no, four was almost hard to get through in some ways. Like there are some really good episodes, but they are far and few between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all right. You know what, Dennis? You didn't do something on this episode. Uh, I didn't do a lot of the, we, we jumped a lot. We jumped at like the TV guide description and all that. Is that, yeah. is that specifically what you're referencing? That's what yeah. I was talking about. I, know. I, I, I think, I think it was, part, we, it, it was nerves. All right. We have a guest for the first time in forever. The house doesn't clean. It's messy just around here. And I'm talking metaphorically and, and we'd already recorded this episode once. So yeah, uh, let's jump back to the TV guide description, TV guide description. Uh, this, this is a pretty straightforward. There, there's no bad puns. There's nothing horrible about it. Uh, Sam appears as Dr. Ruth Westheimer to bring a mismatched couple together and to help a young woman battle sexual harassment. And the and, and other countries, uh, basically in all other countries, it was just called Dr. Ruth, except for in Germany, it was called the sex aunt. Oh, God. Why, Germany? Why? <laughs> Is Dr. Ruth just your, your Germany's auntie? Is that what that's trying to say? She's Maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah. Uh, so yeah, other than uh, yeah, all, all of our start of episode things. Uh, this episode ratings it had seven point seven million viewers. Okay. So as far as like a rating stunt, didn't really work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I will say Matt uh, Matt Dale in his book uh, is is a bit more uh, happy with this episode than than we were for what it's worth. He does point out something that I think you know is is uh, of note which is that um it they broke don belisario's rule of of not having any famous leapies you could argue they already did that with leo b oswald um but uh obviously he was not he was more notorious i suppose than famous um the the they'll do it again this season um you know when sam leaps into elvis um I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if they did successfully show that that rule could be broken, quite frankly. I, I think that to me, if you would have had and it would have been really difficult and I understand that, but I would have rather seen Sam leap into, you know, uh, I would have not necessarily the president, but like somebody like I would have I would have liked to have seen that treatment as opposed to him leaping into pop culture figures, because then it's just popcorn. It's like it's it's, it's clear that this is a gimmick episode. There's nothing about this that really elevates it beyond the gimmickry. Um, and, 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 and I think that that to me is, is why I don't know if I agree that this episode shows that the famous leapy rule can be broken. Right. Because if it was someone that was actually real in history, like a president, that would make much more of a difference. Like this is more like it's poppy, but it's still, or it's a real person, but it's still a very small moment in history that you're not changing like the whole world. <laughs> Whereas if you did someone that was more relevant, you're actually going to change. I mean, they could leap into someone more, you know, relevant and then change a little part of their history, you know, of history that doesn't change the whole world, but that's sure. still not changing. Sure. It would have been interesting uh, like, to like hone in specifically on the instance of Dr. Ruth of like having him leap into someone who is alive at this moment in time is known in pop culture, like who they could have had Sam leap into and really done like a really, like 
great episode, like a, some like social commentary episode. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, I bet you Donald Trump would have been game. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing that I would have loved to have seen, and this episode could have actually touched on it just a little bit, but it's 1985 – um, and, and, you know, maybe leaping into a figure that was central to the AIDS crisis in some way, um, mm-hmm. I think would have been a really powerful statement for the show to have made. Um, you know, maybe part of it was we weren't far enough removed, you know, TV wasn't ready for that. It was relegated to HBO specials or whatever. But, but I think that, you know, in my opinion, if there's one thing that quantum leap did not cover in, in, in the breadth of everything that they touched upon, I think that the AIDS crisis is certainly one of them. And I think that it would have been, uh, you know, an incredibly relevant episode at the time that it aired. And I think right now we would, we would find its relevance again. Um, you know, and I think that that's, I think that that, that, that's maybe one, one arena where they were unable to, you know, to, to go into for whatever reason. Yeah. It is worth noting. I'll have to go back and dig further into Matt's book. I know I've read it at one point at some press junket or convention or something. Deborah Pratt did say that they were working on an AIDS episode. Um, I don't want to speak more about it without going back and reading what it was about, but they were actually, they, they were kicking that episode around, or at least Deborah Pratt was pushing for that episode to be done. Yeah. Uh, You know, and one of the comics I know does indeed touch on Stonewall and I believe actually touches a little bit even on on the AIDS epidemic as well. But uh, um, but yeah, it would have been I I think Stonewall even would have been something that would have been fascinating to see the show cover. Um, But anyway, we got we got what we got and and, and we loved what we got. And that's why we're talking about it. Um, Karen, thank you so so much for for joining us oh, again. And, thanks for and, having you know. me. I looked I looked it up actually because you're still I'm still in the Google Meet that we did. I still have when it pops up my message to you. So it was actually November 11th, 2018. So it was almost two years. Ago. Uh, yeah, it took a while to get through season four. <laughs> 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 it took, I mean, there was there was a stretch of like six months. We only put out like one episode a month. So yeah. that's yeah. Uh, you know, we keep saying we're joking that we're going to rename this podcast Face Wide Wheel, a quantumly podcast with two tired dads, because that's. Uh, <laughs> hey, well, you're almost there and, and you've kept going. So that's yeah. all, that's all that matters. You kept it going a little bit of a lull, but that's OK. You're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're, we're we're still further along than any of the other Quantum Leap podcasts. Yeah. Uh, right. the, the the first the Quantum Leap podcast, I think they're slowly catching up. Uh, Becca to the future, they they totally, uh, yeah. But anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. We will. We'll get there. We will. And we're almost there. We're after this, we're we almost there. Left. Yeah. And and Karen, uh, thank you for joining us. We should we should note like we we said something in liberation about getting guests back on the show, and you. You reached out to me, and that's how you, you came to be on this episode. And you you didn't say this particular episode. You just said, like, any episode before the finale. And we were like, uh, well, hey, Dr. Ruth seems like a perfect episode. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I say that to say if you're out there, uh, if you want to be on the episode and you uh, – I, I think now because of uh, – we're, we're recording this all through Skype, um, and, and so it's worked out pretty well. So, basically, if you have a Skype connection um, – and a high speed connection, and, and you want to anyone to jump on one of these last few episodes, and, and you're hearing this right now in real time as we're releasing these episodes, reach out to us, and uh, we'd love to get you on the next episode. Uh, if you are an actual vampire, <laughs> we would love to speak to you 
on Blood Moon. We'll that even settle if your name is Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> what? Said, so get that perspective. You need to. Yeah, we'll get that, that's right. Empire. Yeah. Whole new context. Um, all right. Well, well. On that note, um, I suppose we should leave out of here. But yeah, yeah. Karen, thanks again. Thank and, you again um, for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Uh, take care of yourselves in the meantime. Be safe. Be smart. Be bold. And uh, we'll be back next time with Blood Moon. All right. Have a good week, month, whatever. Have a good. Have a good week. <laughs> These days, a week feels like a month. <laughs> and on that note, touche. All right. Take care. Oh